evening, everybody, and welcome to our eighth and final uh, session in the series, um, Sex and Gender. You're watching Resistance TV. I'm Mandy Clare, um, and I'm really pleased to welcome everyone along to this, our final in, in, this, in the Sex and Gender series. Um, so we kicked off the series two months ago, and that was on the 27th of July, um, with a session uh, on whether sex matters and whether gender should take priority over sex when it comes to women's prisons and women's safety and women's feelings of safety within prison. Um, and that was with Rona Hotchkiss. And then we've been through various different angles on this topic, um, the topic of gender ideology and how that impacts on women's rights, women's safety, women's feelings of safety, um, on LGB rights and on child safeguarding as well. And it's too big of a topic really to cover in one or two episodes. So we're really fortunate that we've had these eight weeks really to unpack this in more depth. Look at all, not all of the angles, but some of the major uh, important angles on this and really sort of unpick them and discuss them um, at length. And I think as well, it's been important that we've been able to do that as a left organisation, because as we know, the left has kind of tried to keep a million miles away from this topic, either shelving it to try and avoid discussing it or sitting on the fence as Keir Starmer's done within the Labour Party, um, or taking a very sort of anti-women approach, because that feels like the safest thing to do, um, and very much silencing debate. So I'm really thankful to to, um, resist as an organisation and to Chris Williamson for allowing us really to have this platform to discuss this in more, more detail. So um, my guest uh, this week um, I would like to welcome is uh, Deirdre O'Neill. So um, my guest uh, this week um, I, can I would like myself. to welcome I think we might have a, a, an echo on the line. Um, but yes, I'd like to welcome Deirdre O'Neill. She's our guest for this final session. And I'm really, really pleased to welcome Deirdre because she's someone who I like to think of as a good mate of mine now. Um, we've connected previously on issues around social class because Deirdre's from a, a working class background. Deirdre's an academic and also a filmmaker. And um, just, I would like to say thanks for coming along, Deirdre, and it's great to have you here. Filmmaker. And um, just... I would like to say thanks for coming along, Deirdre, and it's great to have you. Oh, can, uh, Deirdre, can you hear me okay? Because we've got some problems with our sound. Um, just having a look now. Oh, I think you might be. It looks on my screen as if you're muted. Um, um, oh, yeah, right. I think you might Is that be. better? It looks on my screen. Yeah. I can hear you now. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. yeah. I've closed okay. all the other tabs. So, yeah. <laughs> can you? I was open at once. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So, uh, thank you for being on the show with us this evening and welcome. And it's great to have you here. And um, you're really re responsible for me going public and talking about this in the first place. I don't know whether you know that, um, but we're friends on Facebook. And we've we've sort of um, met up in real life and we've also discussed things online as well on my show around um, issues of social class and political invisibility of the working class. And I know that's something that you feel quite strongly about, but you also obviously feel strongly about this issue in relation to women's rights and all of the other impacts as well. And your posts on social media were the ones that I found the hardest to ignore. Um, so I'd come across this debate before um, and I'd kind of let it pass me by because at the time I was in, engaged in a, a long and drawn out battle with the council and um, various uh, senior figures within our local council around the work that I was trying to do on poverty and I was meeting with a lot of blocks from within the Labour Party locally and the council itself and I felt like I had one too many fights and battles going on at that point in time and that that women's issue with, with the whole trans ideology debate, surely to God would sort itself out without me having to get involved in it. Mm. And then the more that I saw you posting about some of the stuff that was happening around women in prisons and women within universities being silenced and so on, the more I began to realise actually this isn't going away and it's not resolving itself. And if anything, it's getting worse. And I felt obligated to start liking some of your posts and then start sharing some of your posts. It's your fault. <laughs> this is all your fault. <laughs> so um, do you want to tell us first off a little bit about your career um, and your involvement in uh, filmmaking? Because that's really interesting. I think that will be of interest to people who are of a left, political left persuasion. Um, and also then your, your what piqued you and how come you've become involved in this debate? Um, OK, well... 
obviously, um, I mean, you can hear from my voice, I come from a, a working class background. I didn't go to university until I was 35. I left school at 16. I brought my daughter up on a council estate on benefits. Um, I was a benefit cheat because I used to claim benefits and then go do cash in hand jobs, you know, cleaning the houses of the middle classes. So, yeah, and then I did a PhD and, and now I lecture at university. So it's it's been a very different trajectory to the trajectory of middle class academics. And I think coming from a working class background and ending up in a kind of middle class environment, you're much more alert. Um, you're much more alert to that environment, I would argue. Um, uh, yeah, and my, my, you know, um, my research has always been film mm -hmm. and a social role of film, if you like. Um, and obviously, because of my background, my perspective or my optic, if you like, is a class one. So I, I've made, you know, um, three films. Um, one I made when I lived in Venezuela about the Bolivarian Revolution and what was happening there and the kind of challenges to capitalism. I made one about um, kind of an update of the condition of the working class, Engels' condition of the working class. I lived in Manchester for a few months and I made a, uh, a film about the working class now and how things have changed, but at the same time really remained the same. And then the last film I made was one about the lack of um, working class actors in the film industry or the acting mm -hmm. industry, film, theatre. Um, you know, it's completely and utterly dominated uh, by people from uh, middle and upper middle class backgrounds. Um, so I think because I've seen, because I'm quite old, and because of my trajectory, I've seen how the, how the environment around class has changed. So we've had 40 years of neoliberalism. We've had the deindustrialization of working class areas. Um, and we've had the kind of rise of the service sector. So what you have is a very depoliticized working class now, I would argue, because the struggle for survival has got harder and more brutal mm -hmm. and people don't have the time. And the trade unions have been incredibly weakened. So the things that gave working class people a real strong sense of identity and a strong sense of place mm. are the things that were are kind of mediated between them and the kind of the more harsh aspects of capitalism, mm. they've all gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah. what and I would also argue the kind of collapse of, of Marxism as a kind of framework within which to make sense of the world. Because mm -hmm. that's also gone what you created was a kind of vacuum and in that vacuum i would argue has rushed a kind of middle class a professional middle class yeah and even if they have um good intentions they they don't come from the working class they don't know what it's like to be hungry they don't know what it's like to do two or three jobs to survive they don't know what it's like, you know, for bringing up kids and you're worried that Social Security are going to find out they're doing cash and hand jobs. They have no way of knowing those things. Mm. What they do have is a kind of sense of their own ability to make things right mm. on their own terms. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, and an and emphasis on identity politics mm. rather than class politics. Class politics don't really make a lot of sense to middle class people, I would argue. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. these are enormous generalizations, but yet I'm speaking really generally here. Um, and what the middle classes do is they come in and they, you know, because of the rise of the third sector, the charity sector, because we need it, because the state doesn't provide for people, they've got lots of jobs in those kind of areas. And then they come in and they tell working class people what they should do in order to yeah. make things better. Yeah. Um, and one of those things they insist on doing is insisting on on um, the kind of individualism of identity politics, mm. and that I think is where we can one of the ways that we can link class to the mm. whole trans um, kind of movement, if you like. Um, mm. That this is a very neoliberal project, yeah. in all kinds of ways, not least in terms of profit. Mm. And, and kind of pharmaceuticals um, mm. but also it's emphasis on on the individual it's yeah 
complete rejection of material reality. Um, and if we can't identify an objective material reality that exists outside of how we feel about things, then how are we going to name those things? And again, that's another link to the whole transgender ideology where they want to actually change the language we use to identify mm. the struggles of and the struggles on the experiences and the biological reality of women. Mm. Um, yeah. So when when middle class people who consider themselves to be on the left talk about class, I always think that they talk about it in quite a book learned sort of dry kind of a sense. They're talking about it in a very theoretical way with these clear lines of who's middle, who's, well, they don't really talk about the middle class. They just talk about the owners of the means of production and then the rest of us um, as if there aren't any further sort of inequality divisions or cultural divisions beyond that. Um, and then when they talk about the system, it's about overcoming the system by that whole globular sort of working class that they identify themselves as part of somehow spontaneously rising up as one as if there's everybody within that class has has enough in common to bind them together and um, I think a really interesting point it's one of the problems that I had with that whole notion of the 99 percent yeah is I think it's useful to identify a kind of you know nebulous one percent at the top that we don't really know much mm -hmm. about but to suggest that someone with my background or your background has something in common with the, I don't know, the Grace Blakeleys or the Owen Jones of this world, even though they mm. would like to argue that we do, is absurd. You know, mm. we have been socialised differently. Our experiences are different. Our trajectory is different. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. They just see us as a kind of homogenous mass and don't realise yeah. that in lots of ways, we, you know, we're not. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think that, um, do you see some different ways that middle-class, well-intentioned activists who regard themselves as part of the working class miss the mark a little bit in their attempt to help, you know, in, in their attempt to address systemic unfairness? So, for example, the Labour Party under Corbyn, um, obviously it fudged the, the Brexit issue to it. So, so it was a bit tone deaf on the working class's views around the Brexit issue and how important democracy was, the respect of democracy was to the working class. And we saw that in the election outcome. But just kind of winding it back before that, they, the, one of the most celebrated things around the Corbyn movement was the um, funding of community organisers. But I'm not sure how many of those community organisers that were being dispatched into the working class communities that it was recognised, you know, they're politically disengaged. They don't really have a comfortable place on the left anymore. We need them to be part of the movement. But the but the solution to that was to they just missed the mark a little bit. Instead of recruiting people from working class backgrounds from those communities, mm -hmm. it was dispatching middle class people who regarded themselves as part of the working class to go in and sort of help, <laughs> you know, and that, that's just kind of one example. But have you kind of had a sense that the left organisation as a middle class dominated organisation just misses the mark because those because of those blinkers and blind spots, maybe? I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And I, that was a massive problem with the whole Corbynite project, I think, that um, it was very much a middle-class project. I mean, I think there was an opportunity to kind of, you know, invigorate mm -hmm. the working class, if you like. But I do think that, as you, as you're absolutely right, Mandy, you know, any community work should be done by working-class people from mm -hmm. working-class communities. And mm -hmm. I think part of the problem with the celebrity left, the faux left, the Islington left, is that they often see the working class as victims. And I think yeah. it's useful to them to see the working yeah. class as victims because then yeah. they justify their work. They justify the yeah. columns that they write and the shows that they go on and the podcasts that they make. Yeah, They yeah. can't really see us as victims. Yes. Uh, and I think, you know, that from the beginning, that makes the relationship a very fractured one. Uh, then of course, I think what happens is they get upset when working class people don't conform to their expectations that mm. they don't play the victim or they yeah. have different opinions to them. Yes, yeah. I saw a lot of um, bashing of the working class by people who, when, when the Tories were re-elected um, in the general election, it was like, oh, gammon vote. It was like <laughs> turkeys voting for Christmas. <laughs> well, there was a lot of people who were on the left who were supposedly class conscious 
who had a blind spot about why that was why you might be you know off, off the mark really with it, it yeah. wasn't only the general election i think one of the things that really exposed it was brexit i mean yeah. i think the ritual towards the working classes, the kind of names that they were called, there was no sense in which you engage with the reasons why working class communities might have voted to leave the yeah. European Union. It was just a kind of blanket mm. kind of hate fest. I mean, the, yes. you know, you go onto Twitter, you see the most awful things. You're, oh my God, you're talking about working class people and you're supposed to be on the left. And I think, yeah. you know, it was so clear that there was this enormous chasm between that kind of middle-class left who dominated the left, completely yeah. dominated now. You know, middle-class yeah. people have been excluded from the public sphere, unless it's reality TV shows where everyone can just laugh at them for a little while, you know, yeah. entertainment. Um, yeah. But I think, the, you know, the Brexit vote really demonstrated the, the, the kind of chasm between the working class and the middle-class left and the middle-class left inability to listen to what working class people have got to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this thing that you were saying as well about um, the working class being seen as victims that perhaps need to learn different ways of doing things in order to be able to succeed like us, you know, to be more like us kind of thing. I think I remember when I was learning sociology at A-level years and years ago when we used to actually look at social class within sociology A-level curriculum. Um, there was there were theories around deferred and delayed gratification and that the culture of the middle class is more about deferred gratification those kids grow up being encouraged and socialized to wait for their rewards and work towards their rewards whereas working class kids are more socialized to actually want that reward immediately but then it's kind of like when you look at how how people live the, the actual standard of living the differences in standard of living there are very good reasons why working class people might grab that bit of comfort that they can get or pleasure that they can get right now because it enables you to cope with the grind you know what I mean so it's not kind of a an, an, an inability an inbred inability to actually defer gratification it's a coping mechanism for the reality that you're living in and I think that that's just something that came to mind when you mentioned about that is that middle class people can't ever embody that experience and really understand it from the inside perspective and we recognize the differences culturally between the, our, our classes the middle class those things are still in place I think even though deindustrialization's happened the kinds of jobs that people do has happened a lot of the jobs that used to be regarded as middle class are now inhabited by increasing number of working class people but they've been downgraded because they're inhabited by working class people it's kind of like but those cultural differences are still there um and the hardships the level of hardship experience day to day i think that that's still there as well those differences yeah Absolutely. i mean i don't and i don't i mean i think you're right i mean i think there's been I mean, I think one of the worst things that's happened over the last 40 years is the kind of loss of a working class culture and mm -hmm. how it's been degraded. But I also think, yes, there are cultural differences, but there are material differences as well. I mean, you know, they're what you're kind of, you know, referring to, that, you know, the, mater you know, the materiality of not having enough money to feed yourself, the materiality of not being able to pay your bills so you can heat your flat or your the materiality of being homeless. Mm. Um, you know, so there are real material differences mm. and that kind of deferred gratification I mean I'm not I'm never convinced and I look around me now and I see and, and I just wonder how much gratification uh middle class people defer I mean maybe they yeah. earn a lot of money while they're at university but particularly mm. the privately educated Russell Group University uh middle class they come out into very well-paid jobs and they don't you know, because they have loads and loads of connections. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, you know, I don't know, people like Grace Blakely, people like Owen Jones, I mean, they come straight out of university and all of a sudden they're, they've got columns in newspapers or they, they're, they're the editors of newspapers and they're being yeah. you know, on shows and you think, oh, how did that mm -hmm. happen? Oh, yeah, because mm -hmm. you already know someone who knows someone, you know, or mm -hmm. you know, just got a, light, a nice internship. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure how much gratification they defer. I think we, you know, um, yeah. you know, spending your money on going out for a night with your mates. Well, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should you defer that? Yeah, middle mm -hmm. mm. classes never have to make those choices. No, 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 because the standard of living is generally quite, it's a, it's a higher bar anyway, isn't it, as a constant kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So thinking about all of that in in the round then, so within the Labour movement, Labour Party and the unions as well, if you look at the statistics, um, say, for example, you take MPs from the Labour Party who are from a manual or routine, you know, low status, low paid working background or unemployed background, that's less than 2% of Labour Party MPs. So, the, the, and that used to be more like 40 odd percent, you know, sort of three, de four decades ago. Um, so it was never... It was it was never really proportional to the number of working class people within society within that period of time, but it was a lot healthier in terms of a more a representative you know mm -hmm. um, proportion in the past than it is now, and that's declined sort of since the Blair Blair years onwards. So we know that the Labour Party um, and the unions cultures, particularly within the hierarchical levels, is very very much dominated by this sort of blinkered very middle class, very privileged perspective on life, on the world, on how things can be fixed, etc. How then does that relate, do you, do you think, to what's happened with this sort of rolling back of any semblance of feminism, of awareness of women's rights, of awareness of women's feelings about things, um, and what it actually even is to be a woman within the left, within the unions and within the Labour Party, and the silencing of debate around that, and the actual um, vulnerability of the left as a political movement to trans ideology. How, how does that, does it relate to class as, uh, as you see it? I mean, as I see it, I do. And it goes back to what we were originally saying. I mean, because I think the left now is dominated by the middle class. And as you say, there was a time when, um, you know, a Labour MPs came through the trade unions mm -hmm. and there were working class voices in the trade, in, in, in the Houses of Parliament. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's across the cultural and political spectrum. It's, it, like I say, it's at it's um, journalism, it's music. Most of the people in these professions come from very middle class backgrounds. A lot of them are privately educated. And your, your, kind of, your background will have an effect on the knowledge that you produce or the knowledge that you have and what you... So it will have... A, and if you're keeping out, if you're excluding voices that are dissenting, if you're excluding working class voices, whose knowledge will be different because their socialization and their environment has been different, then that leads to the domination of the, the ideas of the middle class. So their concerns, their anxieties, their preoccupations are the ones that we see. I mean, I'm constantly amazed at the amount of time and energy that is wasted on trans ideology. I mean, the bottom line is we are a sexually diamorphic species. We are a complementary sexually diamorphic species, you know. Um, and as, as I said before, I think you have to start from the material reality of that. Then have any conversations you want to have, yeah, about you know, who wants who wants to dress in what way, you know, who wants to call themselves what name. But let's have those conversations. I'm not saying don't have them. But we have to start from the material, objective reality of the fact that we're a sexually diamorphic species. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that the left, and I, I, I'm not any, I'm not even sure about that anymore. The left. I mean, how can we have a radical revolutionary left when we're not engaging with material reality? And I, one of my problems with the the kind of whole trans movement, if you like is I think the ramifications for the left is much broader than just mm. about who a woman is. If mm. we if we let go of what is real, if we let go of objective reality, if we lose the ability to define it, how do we struggle against what we know is the objective mm. reality of capitalism? Because mm. you know you've got to keep changing names and changing categories and denying people the right to talk about their own experiences. Denying mm. people right to talk about what they know objectively to be true mm. then I think the left is in a it, it's losing well and we know it's losing all relevance the left is losing any relevance and it's mm. why people don't why people who would traditionally have been called left don't vote for them it's why mm. people who are traditionally from what are old working class industries don't vote for them mm. because, because it's seen as untethered yeah 
from the reality of working class lives. Working class mm. people don't, working class people don't think that men can change their sex. I mean, no. you know, again, that's a generalization, but you know, no one I know thinks mm. that men can change sex. Mm. Yeah, to an extent, um, middle class women, including middle class left women, are protected a little bit more and sheltered and buffered a little bit more from their biology than perhaps working class women Mm -hmm. are because um, working class women if they're going to work it's going to be in you know if they're going to return to work after they've had children it's going to be in something that's low status low paid not that interesting quite repetitious a lot of the time not all of the time some of that works really fulfilling work it might be care work care work or something like that but it's still going to be regarded by society as low status and low paid whereas middle class women have got more open choices they can distance themselves from their mothering role they can afford to do that and they can afford to do it and be doing a job that's very fulfilling and rewarding and you know it kind of um they, they can win on all sides kind of thing whereas working class women are more they're more pressed up against the realities of their gender and their exploitation within capitalism, both of their, not their gender, their sex and their exploitation within capital on both fronts. You know, they're living in the real world a lot more harshly and closely than, than arguably middle-class women are, I'd say. But I also think, yeah, I mean, I think you're right in terms of kind of employment, but I also think in terms of the dangers around you know, men who say that are women accessing women's spaces. I think that, you know, the main the main way that we can see that is what's happened in prisons. Absolutely. Women, yes. And it's not middle class. I mean, I've run, mm-hmm. I've run film courses in prisons and mm-hmm. in a women's prison, and it's not middle class women being mm-hmm. put in prison. Yeah. So, no, middle class women are never going to have to face a sex offender who's having a shower with them because he's told the authorities he now identifies as a woman. We know the evidence, the evidence is there. Women are getting mm-hmm. and assaulted by men in all different countries. I mean, they, I was reading about it in Canada today. It's a massive problem in Canada. In yeah. US prisons, they're handing out condoms in women's prisons because mm-hmm. they're not in there. You know, we know that, um, you know, Karen White is the kind of, you know, poster girl. Uh, but we know that he went into a prison and assaulted four women the first as soon as he got in there. I mean, yeah. exactly. so middle class women aren't going to have those problems. And it's not middle class women who are, um, you know, going to be in seedy little bars in the back streets of somewhere, you know, because they, they'll be there in their lovely clubs where, you know, um, really nice men with mm-hmm. like dresses they're well lit well paid for they're mm-hmm. never going to be exposed to the dangers of this ideology in the way that working class women are working absolutely and yeah yeah and i think again to go back to your point about you know the middle class left and their kind of you know the way that they talk about the working class i think mm-hmm. what makes it clearer of the disdain mm-hmm. in which working class but particularly working class women are held by the middle class left. Mm. You know, there's no concern for the fact that, you know, this yeah. is dangerous. There's no concern for the safeguarding of working class women. And mm. rather than fight for working class women who don't commit violent crimes, rather than fight for them not to be in prison, yeah. they're fighting for the right of men to be in prison with them. Yeah, it's mad. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so, so, so far away from what traditional working class left would have considered sane. You can understand, really. It's like the working class was already disenfranchised from left politics quite deliberately, you know, through the Blair era. And you can see why now they're just of their own accord running a million miles away from it. And it's uh, the danger of that is that the is that the right wing get to say, oh, you know, everything we've always told you about this politically correct, airy fairy left politics that isn't living in the real world. Well, here's your proof. So we're right. handing them that that narrative, you know, on a plate. And, and yeah. The right are owning this. They're owning it. It's a gift to them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the Tories aren't particularly smart. Um, you know, we've got the dregs of the but. They're being smart on this one because they could stop it like that. They could yeah. stop the whole thing, but they're not because no. they're just tearing itself apart over it. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. tearing itself. So it's yeah. been a gift to them. And then, you know, working class women, women like me who've been around the left all my fucking life, mm. get bigger, 
um, transphobe, you know. Yeah. I mean, I get called the most awful names and I just think, what? And by middle class people, you know, mm. and I just think, it's like, who yeah. do you think you are? You're called, mm. you know, and I, everything I've done, you know, before, I, I mean, I've lived that life and now that I am a lecturer, I do everything I can to kind of, you know, stay in that world and to pay it back and make sure I, and then I had some little scroll on, you know, on Twitter telling me that I'm a bigot because I believe in material reality or biological reality. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, who, who the fuck do I vote for? That's, that's like being gaslit double isn't it it's once on the basis of class and then on the basis of sex you know yeah. that women women as in general are being gaslit by this whole trans ideology phenomenon and the the the, the dreadful cowardice the dreadful yeah. cowardice of the left and the abuse you know the the misogyny of, of the left as it turns out but also as a working class woman you're being told by middle class privileged people mm. um you know you're being insulted you're being called names you're being abused it's like a double attack yeah. double pronged attack um yeah it's twi twice the levels of gaslighting that we're having to deal with um so yeah i mean the other thing that the, the left have abandoned it's not just this idea of because socialism for god's sake if it's not about supporting and recognizing the material disadvantage if you like of those who are oppressed if it's not about that and looking at that from a, in an evidence-based factual way for goodness sake not just throwing out statistics to suit a narrative or a trend if it's not about that then what on earth is it about and so it's abandoned the whole idea that working class people and working class women, women as a class and working class women in particular, are, you know, um, at the bottom of the heap in terms of oppression within a capitalist society and within society generally. If it wasn't capitalist, I still think that we'd have sexism. I don't think sexism will have started just when capitalism started, but that's a bit debate for another day. Yeah. Um, but they've also abandoned their concern about the Muslim community as well, because mm -hmm. for Muslim women, they're very much disadvantaged by a lot of these policies, um, policies that have jumped ahead of what the actual law says. Um, you know, that take no account of religious belief or religious sensitivity. So the left that was previously the champion of the Muslim community and of Muslim culture, all of a sudden couldn't care less about Jewish. that. Yeah. Jewish women. Yeah. 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 Incredible, really. Um, mean, though, it's become such an obsession. Yeah. That the left is not fighting for any, it doesn't seem to me that the left, and it's almost, you know, sometimes I think, is this strategic? because all those other things are being left behind. Mm. Also, I think what it demonstrates is the absolute power of this marginalised group of people that yeah. they've taken over politics, they've taken over the media, they've taken over education. Mm. There's a kind of cultural, social and political power that they have. Mm. It's absolutely incredible. And I think it's another way in which you can see that it's linked, not it's a very middle class or upper middle class movement. It's incredibly well funded. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's got nothing to do with working class people or working class communities. These are not the preoccupations of working class people in working. You know, I did in a food bank for a couple of years. Um, I left because they were all Tories that were doing the food, handing out the food. But yeah, working class people weren't coming in and <laughs> talking about, yeah. you know, Working class people were coming in saying, I've got to sleep on the bench tonight because I'm getting thrown out or I mm. can't buy my children or I can't buy my child a winter coat. Mm. It's just incredible. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I resent that we're... Because one of the excuses, that's one of the really flimsy excuses that's made by lefty people who don't want to get themselves embroiled in this they want to try and protect the platform that they have mm. and whatever sort of audience they have you know that comes to their online social media shows whatever it is and they'll say oh well it's a rabbit hole it's an id poll rabbit hole we shouldn't be wasting our time on that it detracts from poverty and and you know climate and all of the other things that the left needs to care more about the fact of the matter is i resent having to spend so much time on this i wouldn't be spending a minute on this oh, if the yeah. if the consequences of this weren't so dire and the silencing wasn't so vicious um you know i i, I think that's just an excuse as well i'm amazed 
by some of the people that I thought were comrades who had things like Marxist or radical or revolutionary on their Twitter bios and just mm. keep them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to name, I'm not going to name names, but there was someone the other day <laughs> advertising. Tell me your heroes, you know, of the your left heroes of the last. We're going to do a show and we're going to go through a list. And you know, here's my here's my list, and they and they put the list together, and every issue under the sun was covered apart from the one major issue that's tearing the left up. I mean, like they will pretend it's not happening yeah. until the cows come home, until they're blue in the face, rather than actually face up to it and, and get themselves involved in it. They just don't care, don't care about women and they don't want to know. Yeah. I think it's interesting because during the kind of second wave feminism, men, you know, lefty men often said, oh, no, we've, we, we, we'll, deal with the le we'll deal with the woman question after the revolution. So it was, you know, oh, this is kind of a, a bourgeois kind of, you know, affectation. Let's not worry about this one. So yeah. we had that. And it's just the same thing, but manifesting itself differently. Oh, it, it's mm -hmm. a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down it. Oh, it, you know, so they're just excuses. Mm. And in some ways, I just wonder how, I mean, it seems to me kind of an ideological illiteracy that you yeah. don't realise the ramifications of this, that if they get away with this, mm. they can get away with a lot of things. Mm. Yeah? Mm. But yeah. even, even if they couldn't, even if that wasn't the case, that socialists don't care about women's rights. You know, mm. they don't care about the impact on working class women. It, it's so, it's, it's, I mean, it's shocking and it's not shocking. It's shocking because how in the hell does socialism stand up without, having an understanding of women as an oppressed class how does that even work without that as, as an integral part of it but on the other hand obviously you know as we've said it's a very middle class movement it, it suits middle class people to not have to get their hands dirty you know um, people have their careers to think about after all and their networks and you know their connections and and this is the cultural difference I think as well is that working class women working class people are generally more less concerned about career ladder mm. and more concerned about justice social justice telling the truth saying it straight kind of thing this is where the cultural differences come in and they're very much exposed on the left at the moment i think through that as well who's willing to speak up and who's running a mile you know i think you're absolutely right i mean i was talking to someone about this the other day i mean we are socialized differently and as you say i think middle class people are socialized in terms of achievement and career and status so i actually don't think that and i might get to an bus to saying this but i i don't think middle class people are judged when they look after their career i think mm -hmm. other middle class people think well of course that's what you would do <laughs> um but i think working we're socialized differently because everything's a struggle and everything's a fight you tend to say it as you see it and I, you know, and I remember my dad, you know, mad Marxist Irishman saying to me, whatever you believe in, you have to stand up and say it. Right. You know, I just think that those processes, the way that we're socialised, the environment, and that's what I mean, I think that produces the kind of knowledge that you have and the way mm. that you, you carry yourself and the kind of things that you do. And I think mm. it's very, very different. So and I think mm. that's why a lot of middle-class academics and MPs just kind of hide behind that oh it's a rabbit hole we've got more important things because they're really worried yeah. about their careers they're really, yeah. and in some ways I understand more why women do that but mm. I don't understand why all these lefty men do it I, I mm. think we had a few more men on the left came out and said oh god this is this is madness this is mm. absolutely crazy then I think there might be a shift but yeah. I just I don't think they want the pushback and they no. don't want the pushback that women get it's never as bad for them yeah yeah I think it, it does leave a little bit of a, a vacuum as you say though because I'm thinking about the enough is enough movement now which is yeah. headed up by Mick Lynch Eddie Dempsey and they've yeah. chosen Zara Sultana as their sort of female contemporary to head that up um now they will probably keep a million miles away from anything which might 
might tar them um, with the women's rights. <laughs> Sounds mad to say it, but they probably would keep a million miles away from platforming anyone who is known to be an outspoken women's rights advocate, I would imagine, because it's seen as a poison chalice, well, not a poison chalice, as something just to be avoided. Um, on the left, because the left is primarily middle class, but I wonder who is it they're looking to attract? Because Mick Lynch is very much perceived to be a straight-talking, honest uh, working class bloke who's come up through the ranks mm. through hard graft you know background of working on the tools and he's respected for his integrity and for being straight straight talking and not being intimidated by people who would who would try to misrepresent him and what he's about so for, for me if they then back away because they're afraid of, of being associated with women's rights advocates working class people are going to sense that about that movement. They're going to see that. They're going to they're going to see the kind of people who are platformed. And Zara Sultana claims to be from a working class background, but sometimes it's only people people from working class background. It's only the ones who assimilate themselves into middle class culture that are allowed to succeed. Um, and a lot of the things that she says sound very. They don't sound working class. The way that she says them, they sound very middle class, like she's been steeped in that culture and she's terrified to say anything about women's rights. In fact, she's gone in the opposite direction. So I just I just wonder about enough is enough movement, about the unions, all of these other institutions and organisations that they, they profess to be wanting to attract the working class now that we're in a cost of living crisis, um, to be wanting to better represent the interests of the working class. But the kinds of things that they're doing and the kinds of signals that they're giving out are, to, to my mind, probably not going to attract working class people. Working class people are going to be able to tell if something's authentic or if something's running away from being associated or tarred with something. I don't know if you've got any thoughts around that. I mean, I think you're right, and it's interesting, like you say, they have moved away from, or they seem to be moving away from platforming anyone that's gender critical, but mm -hmm. they were quite happy to platform Joe Grady, who's mm -hmm. the, the university, yeah, the UPU, uh, who calls her own union members bigots, and, yeah. and you know, has kind of, you know, strategized to remove gender critical academics does not defend gender critical academics when they're attacked you know yeah. not come out in support of Catherine Stock so they were happy to platform her I was I have to say that I was absolutely shocked when I saw them platforming her mm -hmm. um, I I and I think I, mean, I have a lot of time for Eddie Dempsey and I have a lot yeah. of time Inch, and I can see that the right are trying to undermine them. Mm -hmm. I can see that sections of the celebrity left are trying yes. to undermine them. Yes. In the past. But I do think that if they don't face this head on, mm. they, they're doomed to fail. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Because we've seen exactly what happens, like when Corbyn ran away from the anti-Semitism smears, you know, yeah. we've seen it. We've experienced it on the left. And it astounds me that we haven't learned from that well, he so he also ran away from this didn't he yeah. I, I, you know mm -hmm. and i you know we can talk about his personality and his fear of confrontation but these are much bigger political strategic questions um and i think the problem i think with the labor party and i think starman's kind of proved that is that they are more interested in the members of the mm -hmm. labor party who are now predominantly middle class, the demographic has completely changed. They're more yeah. interested in that and those members yeah. than they are in the people who would potentially vote for them. Mm -hmm. So they will appease them by going along with the anti-Semitism or with you know the, the whole kind of Brexit you know, remain and with the, the transit. You know, all of these things are middle class preoccupation. They are middle class ways of doing politics. Um, yeah. And that's a massive, massive problem for the left, as we've seen. Yeah. The result is Starmer. Do you think that there might be an element of the middle class co-opting a form of oppression as well? Because if you've got if you've got everything quite comfortable and quite predictable and everything's fairly straightforward in, in your life, um, but you identify as being on the left, is it almost traumatic to not have an oppression that you can call your own? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that there is an element of that, isn't it? I mean, I keep reading how, you know, trans people are the most oppressed people. 
And I just think, how does that work? You have access to so much. Everyone, you know, people are, your policies are being changed. You have dreams of things written about you. Mm -hmm. Pride has been completely captured. The police force has been captured. The NHS has been, how then? But I do think that, I mean, I you, you can see that I think a lot on with some of the celebrity left. This mm-hmm. idea that you know their lives have been so easy, so they need to an oppression to latch it. And of course, the oppre- the one I, it is interesting, isn't it? Again, of course, the oppression that they can't link themselves to is class because then mm-hmm. they have to admit that they're complicit in what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And also, you can you can celebrate difference. I think so, and I think. Capitalism can absorb different so differences of race, ethnicity, gender. You mm. and you can celebrate those differences, but who's going to celebrate differences in class? You know, yes. oh look, that person's poorer than me. Wonderful. How can <laughs> you? No, <laughs> they do not have anything to do. They don't want to talk about class, mm-hmm. and this is the perfect excuse not to talk about class. I was going to say, do we need a flag? <laughs> We should invent one. We used to have one. I'm sure we did. <laughs> We've got a hammer and a sickle, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was or the Labour Party flag, one or the other. But okay, so we're going to go to. We've got some comments and questions, and then when we've had a look at comments and questions, we'll just do a quick whistle stop recap over what we've covered during the session and a little shout out for any updates on any of those issues that we've covered since we covered them. So I'm just going to have a look through. Someone's Diane Hollyoka said Joe Grady is a disgrace. Yeah. yeah. She's also said, yeah, a middle class way of being special, claiming to be queer. This new re assimilation of the word queer. Judith Wright, let's see. Judith, what influence do you think Corbyn's support for or lack of action on gender ideology has had on the fight for sex based rights? Well, I, I mean, I think it had an enormous kind of. Um, influence if if Corbyn had said from the beginning you know it's the same as you're saying about the anti-semitism if these things had been nipped in the bud from the beginning they wouldn't have the traction that they have now and Mm -hmm. and the problem is now there isn't one mainstream political party that Mm -hmm. will stand up and say women don't have a penis Mm -hmm. they won't say it none of them and you know if you watch kind of Andrew Marr or, you know, uh, some of the LBC programs they go on, they are asked these and they can't answer them. Yeah, that's horrendous. Dawn Butler said that babies are born without a sex. It's embarrassing. It is really, I mean, I'm not embarrassed. You know, it's embarrassing for them. Yeah. You know, when they're asked, do women have a penis? They they start mm-hmm. to kind of go, oh, well, actually, you know, that's not quite the question. That's not the way you should put the question. And you think, no, women don't yeah. have a penis. That's it. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I think, yes. I mean, yeah. I do think the fact that maybe, you know, in the beginning, like you said, Mandy, I think, you know, people were thinking, this is so crazy. It's not going to mm-hmm. last. This mm-hmm. idea is so bonkers. that mm-hmm. it's, And maybe they thought it would just die. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah. that's, that's the problem, isn't it? Of you know, all the mainstream political parties, not just the Labour Party. <laughs> In a way, though, it is comical if you could look at it that way, because it's the lengths and the contortions that they will go to. The lengths of contortions that they will go to in order to avoid their career risking going down the pan for telling the truth. <laughs> for answering the basic question do women have a penis? No. <laughs> Diana Isolis says it's extremely disturbing not to mention dangerous that biological reality is being denied I have a techie and scientific background I don't fall for that rubbish yeah. and Diane Holyoke has said and they use the term intersectional feminism to claim that we are not feminists it's effing mind-blowing and utterly ignorant yeah that intersectionality gets thrown at us a lot doesn't it oh well they say oh well we're intersectional feminists intersectional then you're and i think that again they misunderstand the word intersection i mean i i've never really again yeah this is yeah 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 into that yes i come from an irish background yes i'm a woman yes i'm working class yeah they're all the things that make me who I am. They don't, they're not separate and then 
kind of intersect at some point. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, if your intersectional feminism doesn't take account of working class women in prisons and working class women being strip searched by police and Mm -hmm. intimate searched by police, you know, um, by opposite sex officers, if your intersectionalism doesn't care about those women, it's not intersectional because it ignores the biggest one that there is that impacts on someone's quality of life, their likelihood of living to an old age, et cetera, et cetera, which is class, you know. That's the underlying main one that as socialists we need to concern ourselves with. And then everything else, you know, further impacts or doesn't impact, you know, from that. Any women's prisons, it's not just the women, it's the women officers Mm -hmm. are having to strip search men. Yeah. Because they're saying they're women. So, you know, there's lots, you know, I mean, obviously we don't agree with the strip searches in the prison, but, you know, that's been a woman kind of screw and then having to strip search a man because yeah. he's a woman mm-hmm. i mean yeah. it's, it's just appalling and they you know the the people that work as prison officers you know they're they're all drawn from the working class as well mm-hmm. and again you know it's a kind of very working class i mean there's not much difference there's a very working class environment so mm-hmm. again, you know there's no middle class women are ever having to get a job mm-hmm. working as a prison officer mm-hmm. then strip search a man in a women's prison because he says he's a woman yeah and people like owen jones don't only not care about those women and don't only not care about women generally but they don't care about the kids who are there's a higher proportion of children who are from who who have grown up in care who are being sucked into the ideology and and set off on the, on the conveyor belt into medicalization irreversible medicalization and surgery um and that's been highlighted by the cast review but he's he's inc- intensely relaxed about that you know it doesn't seem to concern him at all and they will be they will be working class kids they'll be cl- kids who've started off with you know multitude of, of disadvantages just because of the class that they were born into what kind of socialist is that you know how intersectional is that he just identifies as one he's not really one that's the thing owen jones yeah. is socialist yeah he might put it all in his bio owen jones is not just another very privileged middle class guy went to oxford became a researcher for the labor party got a you know wrote a book called chavs <laughs> um you know which again was just about oh you should all vote Labour. It's 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 not the great book that everyone says it is. And then you know gets a column at the Independent and then the Guardian. Yeah, never, never really had to work. No, these things fall into your lap, don't they? If you're from, He's kind if you of know like, how to network and that's what you've grown up with, that that that's part of your privilege, isn't it? You no, know, tra- trajectory. They they I mean the amazing thing is they take on the kind of language and rhetoric and concepts of what we would have traditionally called the left. Um, you know, and so they talk about trans as though it's a civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. There has never been a civil rights movement in the history of civil rights movements that has demanded the rights of another group. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. never been the case, you know, but they've, they, they've appropriated, and that's what they're very good at. They were very yeah. good at appropriating struggles that they actually have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. And they're claiming some allegiance to those struggles and using yeah. the language of those struggles mm-hmm. and trying to convince people that, you know, it's a civil rights movement, therefore you have to be on our side. And if you're not, then you're a right wing bigot. Mm-hmm. You know, who votes for Trump or, yeah. Mm. Horrendous. Okay. Well, I think and we've got other comments there that people can read through. If you watch the video back, they pop up as you're watching it. I don't think they stack up underneath the video, but um, thank you everybody for the for the great comments that you've left um, yeah. and for your involvement. Um, so yeah, so over the last eight weeks, this is week eight this week, we started off, uh, was the 27th of July with our first one, which was Does Sex Matter in Relation to Women's Prisons, Men in Women's Prisons, the Vulnerability of Women Within Those Prisons. Um, And we had Rona Hotchkiss. And then since then, um, that dreadful bloke, what's his name, Dominic Raab, announced that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, if if any um, prison service wants to place a male within a female prison estate they would have to go via the minister for for approval to do that it's unlikely that they would get approval for it but so it's basically it amounts to a likely ban on men in women's prisons going forward now that everyone 
breathed a sigh of relief when we heard that. That was really good news. And that followed hot on the heels of that session. I'm not saying it was down to us. <laughs> There's a hell of a lot of work that's gone into trying to get to that point. But since then, um, a convicted paedophile with 30 separate offences against children, um, one of those children being as young as seven years old, um, has been transferred to HMP Bronzefield, which is the same prison where Karen White assaulted those four women that you mentioned earlier so it hasn't stopped yet so people if people can keep on top of that if you can follow um at keep prisons single sex i think it's at kpss on twitter and just try and keep on top of all of those things through the women's rights network and the various different sex matters and all of these different um, organizations that we've mentioned as we've gone through the series and just do um, take actions, you know, for, there are things that we can all do from home, even if you haven't actually felt able to speak out publicly, there's certain things that you can do to help them, uh, politicians understand that women care about this, women are worried about this, and that it is going to affect how you're going to vote in the next elections or the next police and crime commissioner elections or whatever it is, you know, whatever it relates relates to. Um, so that was that one. Then we um, had our next guest, which was Kay Green, fantastic Kay Green, um, who spoke about the um, Labour losing women and how the left treats and how the Labour Party has treated women um, and how re reality denying and how silencing and aggressive the left has really been towards women in particular on this issue. Um, and then just recently, um, as an example of that, we had Kelly J. Keane held her Standing for Women um, uh, Speaker's Corner in Brighton. Um, and we had Lloyd Russell Moyle or Russell Lloyd, I can't, I can't remember it, but he's the Brighton MP. His, his aide, political aide, um, Carly May Cavanagh, was shouting in the face, shouting at a father who was holding a baby. So essentially shouting in the face, just less than a couple of feet away from a baby, um, swearing, using words like fascist um, and said, you know, something along the lines of, are you, are you going to bring them up to be a little fascist, you know, swearing, etc. So we don't know what the figures are for the number of women who have left the Labour Party, but we do know numerous examples of where women have been abused and silenced over and over again, despite the fact that as a leader, Keir Starmer has tried to either sit on the fence or completely distance himself or say that he wants calm, rational, evidence-based debate, whilst at the same time suppressing that within the party and allowing this culture to develop, which has resulted in this baby being yelled at. And this left, supposedly left woman, um, you know, uh, not seeing a problem with that, that's normal for her. By ignoring these issues, by pretending you care about these issues, by silencing women, you are setting the scene for this kind of abuse towards people, including people who are standing there holding babies. So it has to stop. Um, and then we've got, um, we had Kathy Larkman on, she was talking about policing um, and the new national strip and intimate search guidelines. That, that have been given to all police forces. Kathy's given me an update on that. Basically, she said there isn't, there aren't any tangible shoots of hope. That all looks as if it's still going to be implemented by, I think, the 2nd of December, as it looks at the moment. But all of the um, police and crime commissioners that women have been contacting and everyone in every area across um, UK, as, as England and Wales or UK, have been contacted by women um, and they've tried to sort of wriggle out of it and fudge it and say that it's the responsibility of the chief constable in most cases but they their job they're elected to hold the chief constable to account so although the chief constable has operational responsibility for implementing this policy or not implementing this policy and presumably making sure that an equality um, impact assessment is carried out before this policy is implemented um, the PCCs have tried to distance themselves from that and the women have pushed back and said no you know um, this is going to affect whether women are going to want to vote for you in the future your job is to hold them to account there needs to be equality impact assessments carried out but given that the the national guidance um, tells us basically that this policy is going to go ahead there's some question mark as to whether even if they do an equality impact assessment, they're likely to retract that guidance because it sounds like they've made their mind up. So women need to keep following what Women's Rights Network are doing around that. Um, get in touch with Kathy, 
um, her contact details are, are there, her Twitter details are there on the session that we did with her underneath the video um, and carry on putting pressure on because that is a policy that's clearly going to have a really negative impact, not just on women who might be suspects, but also the female officers and male officers as well who might not want to be having to strip an intimate search uh, women. So um, Stella O'Malley was our next guest and we looked at the closure of the Tavistock, um, proposed closure of the Tavistock and clinical pathways and the affirmation model and the impact that af affirmation um, has on parents, on kids, on the relationship between parents and their kids, on safeguarding um, and also on therapists and the kinds of work that therapists can legally do. Um, and um, conversion therapy, really, the, 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 this thing about transing away the gay um, and really treating children according to gender stereotypes rather than as individuals who are free to express their, their gender, you know, in any way that should be free to express that in any way they please without being put into a, a stereotypical box this way or that way. And then their body amended to suit that stereotype. So um, that was brilliant with Stella. Um, Amy E. Souza came on to talk about Drag Queen Story Hour boundaries, how children keep themselves safe, how they make safe judgments about grown-ups and how important honesty and um, being able to name things as you see them is in all of that um, and understanding the, the, those issues around safeguarding. Um, Amy's been involved in further campaigns around the Let Julie Swim, Julie Jamin or Jarman in the USA who was uh, in her 80s and um, found uh, there was a male member of staff supervising young girl, little girls getting changed in the changing rooms in her local leisure centre and when she complained about that she was called uh, bigot and banned for life from that facility so um, Amy's been doing a lot of work around um, around that um, one of the they, they held actually a, a sort of speakers corner type event where they were overwhelmed by trans activists and the police completely let them down um, and the women were put in danger and that older uh, woman Julie was being shoved around um, and they also um, have more recently held a songs and poetry and prose um, we will not be silenced type event as well um, under that banner of sort of let Julie swim um, and they've also been doing some campaigning I've noticed Amy's been doing some work around that teacher in Canada um, whereabouts was that in Oakville who had those huge prosthetic breasts um, as a male to female trans teacher. And it was the kids, the poor kids, who raised the alarm on this. They, they took photos and posted photos, really as a cry for help, because all the adults have lost their minds and have decided that this is perfectly normal and it's okay and it's not autogynophilic whatsoever and it's not abuse and it's not you know transgressing those safeguarding boundaries of the children. So children are nowhere in this as far as these activists are concerned. And as far as these ideologues are concerned, and people like Amy in the States are, are doing a lot of really good work. So she's another one to follow on Twitter if you don't already. And it's important to really be um, up to date on what's happening in the States and in Australia and in Canada and some of these other countries, because that really is where we are heading if we don't, as women, you know, find our courage to speak up and to act and to keep going with it as well, because it's exhausting and it's depressing, but it's it's essential that we don't. Um, we don't let this go. And then we had Simon Edge on, who you put me in touch with, Deirdre, who was absolutely brilliant. And he was talking about um, being the wrong kind of gay, kind of gay man who says, no, you know, if I'd have, as a child, um, if, if this had, ideology had been dominant at that point, I'd have been shoved onto that pathway. And like so many children who are shoved onto that pathway and assumptions are made about them being born in the wrong body, they're actually born in a healthy body that's perfectly fine. And very many of them, if they are, if, if the watchful waiting approach is taken, it turns out they're just gay. They're just, a, a, you know, uh, um, they go through puberty and they're either gay or they're lesbian or they're bisexual uh, and they have a happy life, you know, um, uh, and come to terms with that. So um, Simon was absolutely brilliant. Um, we talked as well about those 60 bottles of urine, that guy who poured a bottle of urine over himself on the steps of the EHRC and his erection was visible through his dress. Um, in protest at EHRC, I don't know what, coming out with clearer guidelines about why single-sex toilets and spaces are important. Um, we know that the evidence says that as soon as you've got toilets and changing rooms mixed up and made unisex, the number of sexual assaults against women automatically increases. It just happens. That always happens. And that's what the evidence tells us. So it's not about women being mean. Um, and that way of 
that the, some of these things that trans activists do are so aggressive and so aggressively male, you know, the na in the nature of them. It, that, it, that should be a wake-up call to, to anyone on the left who's hesitating around this, I think. Um, what else? Tanya Carter was last week. She was absolutely brilliant. She's a mum. She, and she's had experience of being a school governor as well. And she's had a lot of training around safeguarding. And we were talking about schools policy, our council policy in Cheshire, Western Chester, how it falls outside of the law, existing law and existing government guidelines and safeguarding requirements. Um, and is politically imbalanced, which again goes against government safeguarding guidelines. Um, so, and she was fantastic. So, um, yeah, we've looked at all of those angles. We've looked at the pipeline, which is the schools led stuff, which is the pipeline into this kind of gender ideology for children. We've looked at the safeguarding impacts. We've looked at the health sides, harms of affirmation. We've looked at the harms of puberty blockers. We've looked at the impacts on LGB rights and this um, gay conversion therapy um, idea and we've looked at the impacts on prison uh, on women in two important areas that's prisons and policing and then today we've had a little look just again in general at the left at the unions at the class angle really on this and how that might be playing into why the left has been so susceptible to this ideology um, so I just want to thank everybody who has been on the show who's taken part in the series and as I've said I really want to thank Resistance um, resist as a movement and resistance TV for allowing us this platform to explore these things because our cowardly left comrades in most of the left organizations that still remain in their bedraggled form have utterly failed where they have platformed this issue they've done it in a really biased way um, and not in a helpful way um, and there's been a lot of cruelty really and a lot of uh, a lot of insults aimed at women who are just trying to have a reasonable, respectful, evidence-based discussion about what in the hell has happened to our rights as a result of this ideology. So thank you to Resist for allowing us to do that. And I hope that people have found it useful. Um, and the other thing to say as well is, if you are a councillor or you're an elected um, member of parliament or police and crime commissioner it's not enough to say that this is too difficult an issue for you to want to get involved in on account of your career um, you have a responsibility to be evidence-based and accountable to the electorate in what you do and 51% of that electorate are women um, and you're also accountable to the people who don't have a voice so that's the vulnerable kids that's the LGB community um, you know that we we are all part of your electorate as well um, and it's not enough to go for an easy ride you have to stand up and do the responsible thing so that's everything from me I would like to say thank you to Deirdre as well for coming on the show today um, sorry that I waffled on quite a lot at the end there but I thought it was worth just recapping everything that we've done because it's been amazing um, and um, yeah and so tune in next week I'm not sure what we, what what our show will be next week. I think we might be covering because we've got an event coming up in Liverpool to coincide with um, Labour Party conference. So we've got our event on Sunday and then there's Beyond the Fringe event, which is taking place between Monday and Wednesday, um, which is um, our event is an in-person event, but Beyond the Fringe is online. I think we are going to broadcast some of our event as well. So I think that might be what we're putting out as our content next week. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us and um, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.